Ladies and gentlemen, it's your lucky day because here we are once again for another one of our long-running series of financial well-being podcasts. Now, you won't know that we're late arriving for this because you're just going to plug in and listen to this, but I have to let you know that we have been sitting here for, uh, let's have a little look at my watch, for half an hour trying to work out a particular sound issue, which we don't think we've managed to work out. However, we're going to press on regardless anyway. And if you hear the sound of uh, Tom Morris going, oh, for God's sake, this is ridiculous, uh, or, or, or Chris Budd just, just cackling maniacally, then you'll know what's been going on. So apologies. My name's David Lloyd, by the way, in case you didn't know. With me is the aforementioned Tom Morris and uh, Chris Budd. Uh, also welcome to producer Tammy, who's been very patient while we tried to sort this out. Let's skate quickly over the sound issue situation guys tom who are you <laughs> it's always me who are you who are you um yeah I, i'm tom morris i'm a director and charter financial planner over at ovation finance based in bristol uh who sponsor and help create this podcast and have done for well all those years that we've been running now uh, which is quite remarkable yeah so if anyone does want to get in touch about their financial planning needs feel free um details in the show notes well strongly recommended and as i've always never tried to hide uh tom is my financial advisor and i think he's absolutely fantastic was that right tom is that right? yeah perfect oh, checks in the post right. okay <laughs> but he is no seriously he is very very good now tom and i could waffle along here all day and indeed we often do we could talk about how bristol bears beat gloucester 15 <laughs> 20 something i think only last weekend but that had really, yeah had it really depressing oh and as i said to you before it went out it was only a few weeks before that we got our pants pulled down by bath rugby as well so yeah, the black dog is well and truly... Yeah. Well, over. sorry to touch on difficult ground. However, we can break out of that by talking to the other very important person who's a part of this podcast trilogy, Chris Budd. Who are you? Okay, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I am the founder of Ovation Finance, financial firm in Bristol that Tom works for. I am the founder of the Institute for Financial Wellbeing, the founder of Space Cowboy Records, a cricket coach, guitarist... Lover and a fighter. No, not a fighter. Actually, not much of a lover either. Uh, and I live in Somerset. <laughs> An exhaustive biography. And in case you're remotely interested, my name's David Lloyd. I used to be a writer. <laughs> you still are. You don't stop being a writer. Of course I am. I'm actually writing another book at the moment, but that's, that's, that's going to take me years to write. So let, we'll come back to that when it's finished. And um, how are you too? Chris, how are you? We've not spoken for a while. Yeah, all right, David, thank you. Um, I think it's probably a good time to make an announcement, actually. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to announce a, a new spin-off from this podcast called Listening to David Lloyd Trying to Get His Audio Working. We've recorded <laughs> the last half an hour. We've been putting out as a special episode of the podcast. That'll be hugely popular. I think it might <laughs> be more popular than the podcast itself. Yeah, I, I think, think it could. Because people aren't that interested in dry financial issues. They like it when things go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got a lot of that to offer, haven't we? Let's be honest. <laughs> Good. And Tom, how are you, apart from seething with rage? Sure. <laughs> As I've said, I'm quite chill now. I just decided to go and organise uh, a, a weekend whilst you were faffing around with that. It was great. I've <laughs> planned it all out. I've got confirmation from people. Yeah, it's been great. Half an hour well spent. Excellent. That's good. Uh, right. OK, so personal disclosure. I've just got back from Tenerife. I Ooh. got back uh, about three days ago. We left there and it was... Uh, 
25 degrees, shorts, t-shirts, lovely and warm, a whole week sort of in the sea, sitting by the pool. Got back minus four in Bristol. Mm. That was a bit of a shock, I have to say. Uh, I don't think I've warmed up since, but it was a very nice break. Good for you. Yeah, mm, nice. it was good. It was good. Um, so let's move on then, I think, enough of ranting about sound and me gloating about my holiday. <laughs> uh, what's on today's podcast, Chris? Today, David, we're going to look at one of the theories of happiness called set point theory. Set point theory. Now, that rings a bell. Haven't we touched on this before? We have a few years ago now in episode 39, which is what, some 54 episodes, 55 episodes ago, um, called Theories of Happiness. But uh, set point theory is one of the absolute bedrocks of my book, The Four Cornerstones of Financial Wellbeing, and has a key message about our relationship to money. So I wanted us to spend a bit more time looking at it in some more detail. We can certainly do that. But before we do, I'd just like to refer back to the book that you just mentioned. This, I believe, is the sequel to your hugely successful book, um, Financial Wellbeing. Is this correct? It is, yes. Uh, do you know what? Um, in the publicity for the Four Cornerstones, uh, the PR release, the publisher said that I was to call myself the best-selling author. Oh. And I asked for what does best-selling mean, and they were very vague in their description. <laughs> <laughs> so I, <laughs> I just took their advice. And, yeah, it's a best-selling book. Um, so, yeah, The Four Cornerstones is a much deeper dive into kind of uh, the relationship to money and psychology. The difference um, between the two books is the first one is very much a guide of how to make a financial plan, but based around being happier, not just wealthier, whereas The Four Cornerstones is a deeper dive into some of the um, the relationship to money type issues. Yes, I must, I, you know, uh, full disclosure, I haven't read it yet, because I've enjoyed the first <laughs> book. I'm sorry, Chris. I enjoyed the first book hugely, uh, and I, I'll ask Santa Claus to send me a copy for Christmas, I think. And that I could be a tight-ass Tomo tip in itself, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, talking of which, there's a nice little segue, because that is the next thing we need to have on the podcast, is the tight-ass Tomo tip where our, our, our maestro of meanness, Tom Morris, comes up with a tip whereby we can all save ourselves a good little bit of money. I've got one, actually. Now, we're recording this um, in the run-up to Christmas, so I'm not quite sure when it'll go out, around about Christmas time. So if it's before Christmas, happy Christmas. And if it's after Christmas, I hope you had a great Christmas. Uh, but my tight-ass Tomo tip, and it sounds a bit, actually, it sounds particularly mean, and uncharitable, but I'm going to say it anyway. Don't send Christmas cards. Okay. Now, Christmas cards, I know, are not as in vogue as they used to be. But let's face it, we all like getting them, but we don't particularly like sitting around the table writing them. And or some people may do, I don't know. But uh, it's always been a bit of a, I don't want to say a pain for me, but sure. it's a, a bit of a chore. That's the word, a bit of a chore. So this year I've decided I'm not going to send Christmas cards. Um, however, I'm going to do what I know a lot of people do and what I believe Ovation do, actually, which is to make a charitable donation to a charity of my choice. And in my case, it's going to be the Trussell Trust, which works for homeless people. Um, however, the tight assness of all of this is that I'm going to have to work out the cost of the Christmas cards and the stamps. And my charitable donation is going to be slightly less than I would have spent on cards. So there we are. That's my festive offering to just save a little bit of money. And also, the importance of doing this for me, actually, I should have mentioned this at the top of the podcast, I'm unemployed, guys. I've been sacked. 
So Doctors, the TV show that I wrote for for 21 years, for which I've written 82 episodes, has been axed by the BBC. They've pulled it from the schedules. And although it's not going to be, be off until December of next year, I've written my last ever episode. Right. And it's been rather sad, actually. I was talking to Tomo about this. And uh, uh, sadly, my, my partner's uh, mum died a few weeks ago as well, around about the same time as that happened. And we both feel that we've been kind of bereaved in a way. Obviously, Gail's loss is a very serious one. She's lost her mother. But for me, I've lost a very important part of my identity over a long period of time. And I think I'm still struggling to come to terms with that. The financial impact on me isn't going to be massive, I have to say, because I've got decent savings. However, I think the emotional impact has been bigger on me than I expected it to be. Mm. So I'm just throwing that one in, in completely the wrong place. But I thought I'd just mention it anyway. I, I think that's a really interesting area, actually, David. Maybe we'll do a future podcast on it. Um, I've been working, as you know, for the last, since I sold Ovation to the Employee Ownership Trust, I've been working with a lot of business owners, helping them to succession their businesses. And this idea of losing your identity, um, losing the thing that defines you and having to find something new. Uh, I mean, I went through it myself, uh, selling Ovation. Uh, and I've seen this a lot with business owners, particularly. Um, so, no, I get it. I get it. And, and uh, time, as they say, you know, is a great healer, but uh, it's a very valid emotional response to something. I think it's worth recognising. Yeah, and I guess I'm caught in the middle slightly because I'm at a point in my life where I'm getting close to retiring anyway. So it's not for me like it would have been 30 years ago when I had a young child and a mortgage and I would have been, what do I do next? Now I'm just thinking, OK, I might just have to reevaluate my retirement plan slightly. But it doesn't lessen the impact of that feeling of, well, this is who I am. I can't go to people now. They say, what do you do? I say, oh, I write for a program called Doctors. You may not have heard of it, but it's on the BBC all the time. And now they say, what do you do? And I go, oh, well, I'm kind of unemployed, really. (laughs) So that's come as a bit of a shock. Well, we've already started talking about that, David. I think there are different ways in which you can uh, describe yourself and and what you do still. There are certainly different ways I describe you. Yeah, quite. Um, I think Tomo's being slightly more charitable. Um, But I I just, just on that topic, because you touched on it, we're going off a bit of a tangent, but this is important stuff. That grief element um, was an interesting point because obviously grief is something we associate clearly when we lose people, Um, you know, when people pass away in our lives. But actually that feeling of a change in one's life, uh, a saying goodbye to what, to something else that happened before that you're not going to have anymore. That's grief. It's not just all about losing people. And I want to mention episode 65 that we did with uh, Amy uh, Florian on on grief, loss and transitions. So if this is resonating with you, go back and listen to that episode. It was fantastic. And actually, David, it might be worth you going back and listening to that yourself as well. Do you know what? I dimly remember that. It was a long time ago, but actually I'm going to do that. Thank you very much. That's good advice. Anyway, sorry to slightly sidetrack the thing there, but I just felt that... that it's, it basically, it's all about you, this podcast. It is all about me. It should have been. It's called the David Lloyd Podcast. It's David Lloyd's well-being. <laughs> okay, right. I've given my uh, tight-ass tip. Chris, have you got one before we move on to the master himself? I have, David. I've got a way um, of people to make themselves a few quid in the new year. Um We've gone through Christmas, we've probably spent too much, we've overindulged, and then we come into the new year and we think, 
I really should put some pennies back into that bank account. So what you need to do is you need to either go into your loft or if you're a bit younger, go into your parents' loft, dig out all of that, all of those records, your secondhand vinyl collections and sell them to me so that I can go and sell them at markets. There you go. My tight-ass tip is sell me your secondhand vinyl collection. And now, Chris, I'm going to go off at a tangent again because I know this is something <laughs> you've been doing for a while because I yeah. sold you all of my records sometime ago. How's that little little side hustle going? Well, uh, it's not making me any money. So, <laughs> but it, my own personal record collection has swollen considerably <laughs> since I started doing it. Uh, but more importantly, I have so much fun. Uh, so many great conversations. Old people come up and... Um, talk about when they first heard the Velvet Underground, you know, or whatever it might be. And that first copy of Sergeant Pepper they had, it, it's great fun. But also a lot of younger people as well, because vinyl is really, really um, very popular. It's become quite trendy for younger people as well. Right. OK, so uh, sorry, we, we, we're going off in all sorts of fun directions here. So let's come back to the main event. Big Cheese himself. Tomo, what's this week's tight ass Tomo tip, please? Well, I wanted to to have a, a Christmas theme to it because it's also being released around Christmas. And I think this is, these are probably going to be things that hopefully you could take on for next year. Um, but I was thinking about the big, the thing that we spend an awful lot of money on is gifts for others, which is always a positive way to spend someone's money. But I wanted to give some ideas around that. Um, firstly, is we've started doing Secret Santa within our family. And a big part of that is that obviously Christmas is expensive. We still have the excitement of opening a gift and, and and buying it for each other, but it just reduces the money for the amount spent for the family a little bit. Um, so yeah, we we have a little secret Santa for the adults. The children obviously don't 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 get deprived. That's probably so we got more money to spend on them. Um, another thing is my children every year they choose a charity for them as their present for us to give to. So I think that's quite a positive thing to start possibly teaching your children about, getting them thinking about those that might not be as fortunate as they are at this time of year and, and using and treating it as that's one of your Christmas gifts. And the other one was, now this is probably the tight ass one, was in, <laughs> hope, well, they wouldn't have listened to this even if it does go out before Christmas. But we have, for their main present, we've bought them tickets to Legoland, which is fantastic. Super exciting for them. We're going to have a lovely day out. But it's we've booked it for that Christmas period, you know, the one between uh, Boxing Day and, and New Year's Eve, where none of us really know what to do with our time. And we needed to do anything anyway. We needed to do something anyway, sorry. So we bought them a present and covered a day out with them. So a double whammy. So there you go, guys. Think about days out with your kids as a, as a present for them, because if you're going to have to do it anyway, you might as well spend the money on, a, on, on, on their Christmas gifts. So there you go. Brilliant. Very good indeed. So we took, uh, I remember taking my son to Legoland when he was similar age to your kids, I think four or five or something like that. We yeah. had a fantastic day out, but that was quite a long time ago. Yeah, we're, we're excited. We're, we're, we're staying overnight and then we're going to nip into... My son loves nature, so we're going to nip into London for the day afterwards to go and Natural History Museum and there's also a Planet Earth exhibition there. And So we're going to make a real day of it. So wow. it taps into that I want to come. I want to yeah, come. I know, right? So it taps into this. If you can spend money on experiences rather than stuff, that's an incredibly powerful way to spend your money. Oh, I've got all warm and toasty. I've just Ooh. had my first Christmas tingle. 
(laughs) (laughs) That's great. Right, okay, we've been waffling on for ages now. We haven't even got onto the main topic of the podcast. So, uh, Chris, remind us, uh, set point theory, nothing about tennis, presumably, is it? (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) That's such a good joke, I can't even come back to it. Um, (laughs) Right, set point theory. We reach adult life with a set level of well-being. Um, It's different for each of us, so you probably know somebody you would call happy being miserable. Uh, well, I think that would have applied to Tom probably about <laughs> oh, when we couldn't get the sound working. Jeez. 20 minutes ago. <laughs> um, you also probably know someone who always just kind of lights up the room when they walk in. So, look, before we start talking about this, let's agree some words and definitions, okay, just for this conversation. If we call well-being your long-term level of happiness, and then we'll use the words happy and sad for short-term, Okay. So we each have a set long-term level of well-being, which doesn't tend to deviate much. But in the short term, something might make us happy. So we move above our set point. Um, and then, but then that feeling kind of dissipates. We get used to the thing and we adjust and we move back down to our set point again. Likewise, something might make us feel sad, but again, we get used to it and then we revert back to our set point. So we oscillate around our set level of well-being as we go through life, but the long-term level doesn't tend to change too much. Brilliantly explained, and I, and I get that. and I'm sure, like everybody listening, that I can relate that to my own life. So when I feel happy or when I feel sad, I get used to that feeling. I am prone. I get every every occasion, every every few months or so. I have a day or two when like little black dog comes a calling, and I just for no obvious reason just kind of feel a bit sad. And I used to worry about that, but now I just know it's part of my biorhythms, and I know that if I just sit with it for a day or two, it, it will go away again. I'm, I'm like that at the moment, David. Every every weekend, the listeners you might not know this, I'm a big Gloucester rugby fan, <laughs> and we are. <laughs> I mean, I've never known it this bad. Oh, talk about, I mean, you, you Bristol Rover and Bristol City fans, you two, so you know all about bad, bad times, I'm sure. <laughs> every Friday, every weekend, you just, the black dog appears, you get so excited, then no, that's it. So, sorry, I... <laughs> I'm with you. On, Dave. Yeah, I went Bristol City the other day, and they lost the game to the last kick of the game. So, we've all been there, sports fans. Anyway, we're, we're diverging again. So, um... So we've got the the different levels, the sad and the happy level you talked about. and But there's a difference between the two, isn't there? I mean, if I feel happy, that's a nice feeling. I'm not going to do anything to deliberately make myself feel not happy. But if I'm sad, well, that I'm not so keen on. So therefore, I'm going to do something about it. So while we go above and below this set level, not all situations are the same, are they? Uh, no, they're not, David. Uh, and this is where we can apply this set point theory to our relationship with money. When we are happy, as you say, we are li- we're not likely to do anything that reduces that feeling. But when we are sad, that, that's not nice. And, you know, we'll take action to bring us back to our set point. And the thing we do so often is spend money. More specifically, we buy stuff. And we talked about this uh, in some detail in episode 64 called the financial well-being junkie yeah essentially that's retail therapy isn't it Uh, exactly you know i'll go back to that point about spending money on experiences not stuff but absolutely we we tend to just buy stuff for that instant hit because we want to get out of this sadness yeah yeah logically therefore if i could find other ways to give me short-term hits of happiness to bring me back to my set level of well-being i could save myself a lot of money and actually when i think about it I, i do exactly that um 
spending time with friends, going out for a walk with the dog, getting a bit of exercise, you know, watching a movie, all of those things make me feel better. And interestingly, I had exactly this experience, just talk, reflecting back to what I was sharing with you earlier about suddenly going, oh, I've lost that job. It's not there anymore. And and, and my first thought to cheer myself up was, well, I'll, I'll go out and buy something. I'll go out and spend some money. But at the same time, I was thinking, actually, I haven't got that money to spend anymore, not just at the moment. So I had to kind of reassess the way in which I was going to deal with that feeling of rejection and sadness. Uh, and I did it exactly as you suggested by actually sort of getting out and about and, and not dwelling on it over much. Yes, that's great, David. There's loads of things that we can do um, to, that give us a short-term hit of well-being. Could be just phoning up a friend and having a chat, you know, because quality of social relationships is one of the most important contributors to well-being. Um, it's about understanding these things and maybe doing them more often instead of spending money. This is one of the reasons why I think financial education, whether it's in schools or financial well-being programmes that you see a lot these days in the workplace, they're looking at money in too narrow a way. But hold your horses, as I'm going to come back to that point. Yeah, this, this is why financial planners should have conversations with their clients about their spending habits. You know, it's not something people tend to get from their financial advisors who usually focus on managing investments or saving tax. But it's all part of the job, of course. You know, that's important stuff. But if somebody has unhappiness in their life and we're trying to ease that by spending and are buying those short-term hits of happiness, but which prevents them from achieving longer-term objectives, then they may not have the best relationship with money. You know, and this is something we can help them with. Mm. So to recap, we've all got our own set point, and we oscillate around this. And this can lead us to spending money on things we don't necessarily need to give us short-term hits of happiness. Okay, got that. But then there's another question that comes a begging, if my set point, Chris, is different to your set point, where does our own individual set point come from? This is where I think things get really interesting. Um, I just mentioned a book that this comes from uh, by Sonia Leobomirsky called The Myths of Happiness. <clears throat> now, I don't know about you, but when I first came across this, I immediately assume that our set level of well-being is probably going to come from our childhood experiences. Yeah, and that's where my mind was going, because all our values and beliefs come from experiences. Now, I know there's the nature versus uh, nurture debate, uh, and in practice, I, I think there's truth in both of those feelings. Um, you know, we, we are products of both our environment and also of the genes that we were born with, and to my mind, there's no getting away from that. But th so there's some things about me that I've inherited from my parents. Um, and there are some things about me that come from things that have happened to me, the experiences that I've gone through in my increasingly long life. So I, I would guess that the same is true of our set level of well-being. Yeah, I think that's a great way of summarising it, actually. Um, the research suggests that about 50% of our set level of well-being is nature. It's in our DNA. A whopping 50% of our level of well-being is inherited, which I think is just mind-blowing. What, 50%? That's, well, no, that's, that, that's quite, is it staggering? I don't know, it's a, really, it's a really key point. So where's this research come from? It comes from a lady called Sonia Lyon-Bermersky, who is an American professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of California and the author of 
the how of happiness and the myths of happiness. You know, for example, uh, she references research which follows identical twins through their life. With so much of their DNA being the same, the question could be asked, how much do their life experiences change their personalities? And in their case, their set level of well-being. And the result was not by much at all. Wow, fascinating stuff. So if we accept that 50% of this is inherited, where does the rest come from? So another 10% comes from our circumstances, where we live, our jobs, how wealthy we are, career, status, and so on. Only 10%? Yeah, only 10%. So, um, for example, other studies show that wealth, wealthy American business owners report only marginally higher levels of well-being than the factory workers that they employ. So somebody who is focused on money as their objective or financial advisors, financial planners who only talk to their clients about their money, they are only focusing on 10% of the causes of their well-being. Now, given that this describes the majority of banking, of financial advisors, stockbrokers, wealth managers, and so on, the conclusion is massive. Financial services is looking at the wrong place. By only talking to clients about their money, they're not going to be able to have much of an effect on their levels of well-being. Well, hold the front page and bring out a special edition. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, I mean, it, that, there's an inescapable truth in that. And, um, well, sorry, I'm just staggering, uh, struggling to take that in a little bit. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that uh, one of my reputations that I've gleaned from many years of hosting this podcast is that of a... Um, Top level mathematician. Oh yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. CSE grade maths, me mate. Um, and uh, and my lightning sharp brain tells me uh, we've got fifty percent inherited, ten percent of that. What about the other forty percent? I like the fact that Tomo's currently googling what does CSE mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for the remaining forty percent, I'm going to use a phrase that Professor Leah Bermersky uses herself. The remaining forty percent of the set level of well-being that we can actually work on comes from our intentional activity. What we say, what we do, how we act, how we react. And all of those things are presumably, to a large extent, guided by our experiences, the, 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 the nurture part of what shapes us. Yeah, so your, your original point was bang on. But, and this is a key takeaway, I think, is that this is the part we can influence. We can choose what we say and how we act to a large degree. So if half of how happy we are is inherited and only 10% down to our circumstances, the rest of it, the other 40%, is, is up to us. We can change the way we feel. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we, we see this as an outcome of financial planning with our clients all the time. Um, let's make the analogy with our health. There are some things we know that are self-evident. Smoking is bad for you. Exercise is good for you. But some things are a bit more nuanced. Not all types of exercise suit different people. For example, running may not be good for someone with knee problems. Eating healthily is a good thing, but what healthily means for one person will be different to another. Tomato is a good thing to eat, unless you suffer from gout, for example. Uh, amongst other things, I'm really not looking forward to that hit in my life because that's hereditary. So we talk about the 50%. <laughs> You know, understanding these things about the world and about ourselves will help us to improve our intentional activity. All of this applies to your relationship with money 
to help you be financially fitter. Okay, so let's look more then about this intentional activity, because this suggests that if we get that right, we can actually increase our long-term level of well-being. Now, the title of this podcast is The How of Financial Wellbeing, which sounds like the uh, financial education that you referred to in passing earlier. Yeah, financial education almost always means having people, uh, sorry, helping people to manage their money better. Now, control of daily finances and being able to cope with financial shocks are two of the five parts of financial well-being. But if you only look at those two, I suggest that you're really talking financial resilience, not financial well-being. And financial well-being is a much broader remit. You know, 100 plus episodes of this podcast I would offer as evidence, my lad. So um, while those, while financial resilience is really important for f- full financial well-being, we also need to look at this intentional activity. Now, two of the four cornerstones that, of financial well-being that I referred to in my book are what is true of everyone and what is true of the individual. We know that having meaning and purpose in your life will make anyone happy, but what gives you meaning and purpose will be different for you, David, for you, Tom, and for me. So the first part to the how is education. Using Tomo's health analogy, understanding what foods are healthier and what are not. As somebody who has suffered from gout in the past, avoiding tomatoes but drinking cherry juice. So when it comes to money, what makes us happy and how many helps or hinder us? Which is, as you say, exactly what we've been doing now for over 100 episodes. We've tried, haven't we? We have been trying. Right. Okay. There's a lot to uh, unpack here because this has been a really interesting discussion, actually. So let's have another recap. We've a set point of well-being. We move above and below it when we feel happy or sad. And just understanding this should help us be better at spending because rather than buying something we don't really need for a short-term hit of happiness, we could do something else like uh, send a message for a friend or go out for a walk with the dog. And longer term, we can increase our well-being by improving our intentional activity. So to finish off, can we have some specific ideas of what improving our intentional activity actually means? Mm, mm. I'll try and draw on some of my experience talking to a great deal of clients. And obviously what's the beauty of that is I get to see how different that is for different people is this concept of know thyself. We're all very different. But I think it comes out of it's basically think about how are we spending our time to have that framed. How are we spending our time? And we want, could we we'll be doing something purposeful? When someone, a uh, good example is when somebody thinks about retirement, for example, they, they often plan to go traveling. But what else might they do in retirement that gives them purpose? You know, what, what are they looking at when they look at their week ahead? What's getting them out of bed? What's really giving them that spring in their step? And it could be something really small or something really big. That's different for different people. But just having something that really gets you wanting to take the covers off and get out of bed and do something. You know, very much what we try and talk to clients about and and build their financial plans around. Another area is philanthropy. It doesn't necessarily mean giving away lots of money. It could just be regular amounts to causes that, that you care about. Or it could be donating time to causes that are important to you. And then you think about the little things. I've mentioned it a bit in this podcast. We could be when we're spending our money, do it on experiences rather than buying stuff. Buy tickets for future events so you've got that build-up and anticipation to talk about and get excited about. Perhaps making sure that you're going to these events with other people 
that are important in your lives that you want to spend time with so that you can then talk about those experiences afterwards. So all of these things mean that you can, I particularly love that experiences one because you, if you're talking about it again in the future with that individual you went with, that automatically lifts your happiness state because you're talking about a good time that you had. So you spent the money, say, several years ago, but it's still having value now. So yeah, just just some examples. Tom, that's really fascinating. Um, And Chris, indeed, it's been a really interesting discussion, this. And apologies that we have gone off on some tangents, but we hope you found those enjoyable as well. Um, So I don't think there's an awful lot more for me to say, really. Um, um, I do hope you've got some value from this podcast. And I do hope you'll join us again the next time we bring you another one of our financial well-being podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think.